And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Don't fight the future. Here comes Luca. What is up, everyone? I am Tim Cato with The Athletic. Y'all know me. Y'all are subscribers. Y'all are homies. Friends of mine, even. Everyone's a friend of mine. If uh, you, read, uh, you read a single article, article of mine and you're, you're, you're a friend for life. That's the way I view it. Um, it's our first time doing this. Um, Austin, you here? I'm here. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I am in Miami. Ooh, I don't know if you knew anything I will, about that. You know, I, I I know a thing or two about Miami. I may or may not be name there name name a single thing about Miami. Go name <laughs> name uh name name Miami's uh five albums. <laughs> uh, one they stole a championship in '06. That's the I think the the most fire album that they have. That is that is a <laughs> awful album name. That's way too long. That sounds like a Fiona Apple album album uh, title. That's a that's a deep cut. Um. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna get going in like two seconds now. I'm I'm sending a tweet about this and then uh, we'll launch into this. But uh, for people cool. who are already in the room, uh, me and Austin are gonna talk for like twenty-ish minutes, kind of a more of a normal podcast. If you have questions or comments that are related to things that we're saying, drop them in the chat, and I'll try to mix those reactions in. And then for the second half of the podcast, the last twenty minutes, we're gonna bring some of you guys up if you want. And uh, so you can request to speak now. We won't get to you for a little bit, but uh, feel free to request now and hang out. Feel free to request later. I'll mention this a little bit later in the pod as well. Feel free to come and go as as you see fit. You know, if you if you've been on similar live audio platforms like Green Room or or Locker Room, like you know, same same concept, just on the Athletic app and and for you guys exclusively for my friends, for my subscribers. But like I said, my friends exclusively. Um, you know, we'll we'll bring you guys up and we'll do about twenty minutes of that. So let me get this tweet sent and uh austin uh fill fill a little time and talk about some more uh albums that miami is known for <laughs> any more albums you know miami's probably the city that i know the least about in the united states but bro there's like three like i was gonna say three thousand cities there has to be way more cities than that i guess i'm including like anything that is considered a there's city a, of yeah there's gonna be like tw- at least a hundred thousand cities across the yeah there's a lot of cities. across the globe bro i can't even would, i can't even would you rank miami w? in the the top top 10 percent, top five percent um it's up there man i mean i'm here right now and i'm having a great time you should come you know what maybe i'll just hop on a flight and, and head there tomorrow or right. like you know the way the way days. you're saying that sounds like you're actually going to do that maybe maybe i'm turning 30 maybe maybe that's happening i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you're gonna be in Miami and I am too? What a what a coincidence, ah, dude! Huge, huge. It's coincidence. like we should have planned this. Right. Yeah. Um, all right, I am I am distracting myself and uh, not sending this tweet. And so let me do that, and then uh, we're gonna we're gonna launch into this. There's a game to talk about last night. There was there was a big game. I have some Latvian laser takes I got to get off. Oh boy, I I regret this already. I'm gonna end this room. <laughs> All right. Listen, I, uh, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to, we, we can get into it. All right. All right. I, you know, they never, you know, I, I always made this jerk early, early in the podcast, in the podcasting days that they like, they never told me how to podcast that I was just winging it. I basically just took, um, took feedback from what other people were, were doing. So I don't know, like, let's, let's just do a show open. Welcome to 77 minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the athletic podcast network. The only Mavericks podcast that is uh, coalescing in Miami for a little all-star break uh, vacation. Um, and we've got Austin Gurria. Um, 
What's up, Austin? What's up, Tim? How are you? How's the sun? I am good. I am good. Let's just launch into this. Um, let's let's focus on the game itself. Um, and it, 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 look, the way we talk about the team, it's going to go naturally big picture. Um, but I published an article on The Athletic uh, this morning, Thursday morning. Uh, I know you read it. Uh, what was what? What's the one thing that sticks out to you from uh, from that game, and from some op- observations I had, and or, or just a completely different observation? But you know, I'm very vain, so I want I want I want one of my <laughs> observations to be the one that uh, that resonated with you. But but yeah yeah, what's what's your main takeaway? Yeah, that was the that was the maxi game. I think we'll remember that one as the maxi game. It was I don't know if you could say a vintage maxi performance, but that's that's why he was such an intriguing prospect. And that's why he got the contract extension that he did is that he can have games like that where he has five blocks and he completely shuts down the interior and guards the best perimeter defender on the other team. Um, I think you mentioned that he said he'd been dealing with a few injuries recently and it looks like he's back to um, his full mobility and he can be a real terror on the inside when he's feeling great. And that was honestly one of the most impressive defensive games by Maverick I think I've ever seen. He pretty much single-handedly just shut down the interior for the entire second half, and and his shot making was there. He even had a drive for an hand one. Um, so that was that was a really impressive game. That was, dude, dude. I forgot I forgot to put that in my piece, but I uh, I, I was in my notes, and then I just uh, it was late, and I wasn't double checking my notes. But I meant to write like a parenthetical where it's like you know it was Maxi's night because he actually drove. He pumped fake, drove off a uh, off a closeout and actually converted an and one, which for anybody <laughs> watching him this season, you know it's one of his nights if he's able to actually successfully pull it off. And uh, I love Maxi for all the other reasons that you were just talking about, but uh, he has not been good at this at <laughs> this season. And I was like, all right, all right, it's his night. He's, he's going off. Like, it's happening. Um, you know, I think the one thing that stood out to me, and, and, and something I'm sure you've heard, and uh, I, I, you know, it's been all over Twitter, is the idea that the, you know, even Mavericks fans who are coming around on the Porzingis trade, and we'll talk about broadly, you know, that a little bit as well uh, here in a second. But even even fans who are coming around on the Porzingis trade, and I think, I, I want to say at this point, a majority of Mavericks fans are more supportive than not of the trade, especially after last night and the way like Davids played and things like that. Um, you know, the, the, the concern is that they don't have a shot blocker or they need another big man and clearly we saw a few things last night first maxi is that shot blocker he plays more four than five or has played more four than five this season and i think that was a very clear statement of intent that yeah when this dude's feeling right he is one of the best shot blockers in the league i've always kind of referred to him as a weird shot blocker because all a lot of his blocks do come on you know individual matchups but he can also rotate over and jump higher than I think I've ever seen Maxi jump and get that block that, you know, the, the, the challenge that was overturned. I'm still pretty sad that was I got overturned. He's honest. He's the only big man that I know consistently gets chased down blocks. I can't think of another big in the league that chases yeah, people down from behind in transition and gets chased down blocks. And he's really good at it. Yeah, that's a 6'8 wing bang. And, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, his profile is that of like a 6'8 a defensive wing and a a stretch like seven one center. He's he's a very odd, you know, player in that regard. But defensively, he might as well be Dorian. Like like he is he is. I, I've said this before that Dorian and Maxi are the most two comparable players on the on the on the team. If if you're kind of looking at their skill sets, Maybe a little bit less so this year with the way that Dorian has has added stuff off the dribble and and has added creativity and things like that. But but I, I think I think that's 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 true. So so first off. When Maxi is legitimately playing the five, which he will do more often now that Porzingis is not on the team, he's a real shot blocker. He's a weak side shot blocker. He is a, you know, 2.9 in the paint. That's when you're kind of like tap dancing in and out. Uh, when you're, you're kind of guarding a, a guy in the corner or a guy in the short, uh, in the dunker spot. But really, you're just staying in the middle of the paint. Uh, he can be that sort of uh, rim protector. And then, of course, he has this very unique on-ball shot blocking that he provides. So... He, he he's going to do more of that. He's going to play more five. And, and he likes playing the five, I think, more than the four. He said that before. Second, I, I think that the way the Mavericks scheme and the way the Mavericks play, um, they are a team that shrinks the paint. They pack the paint. They When somebody drives into the paint, they all 
kind of crowd into there and they play so many big lineups, which they can do because of Luca. They play so many big lineups with rangy, long defenders that to some degree, and I wrote this in my piece, that functionally serves as rim protection. When you put enough tall, long players on the court together, and when you have them working in this scheme in unison, like they have been for multiple months now, that will help prevent shots at the rim where the need for a rim, uh, you know, a proper true rim protector that, that Porzingis was is, uh, is mitigated to an extent. And, and so there's still a lot of pressure on the Mavericks, two big men, Dwight and Maxi, to stay healthy. And, you know, I, I'm not fully comfortable with those really being the only two players that I would be comfortable throwing into a playoff series, uh, especially late in a, late in a playoff series, like Marquise and, and Boban are, are like really just step guys. I, I wouldn't, I would not want to roll them out in a playoff series. And yes, I understand the irony of saying that after Boban played like 50 minutes uh, in, in game <laughs> seven, uh, the last playoff game we saw the Mavs play. But I, I think in that sense, the, the Mavericks have more rim protection than people think in the outset of this trade. And uh, it just, in some ways, it's not even in the ways that you think of it. So what, how, does, how does that reflect? Because I know you have thoughts about the defensive scheme uh, that, that comes from the coaching staff and Sean Sweeney specifically. What are your, what are your broad thoughts on that? And, and let me oh. reset real quick. Uh, for anybody, for any new listeners who are in the room or have just joined, we're going to talk for about 20 minutes, probably until uh, 12.25, 12.30 Central Time. And then we're going to jump over and, and take you guys' questions, just like you would in a green room or a, or a locker room app. Uh, so, so hang with us. If, if you guys have thoughts, uh, feel free to drop them in the comment section and I'm going to be reading those. And, uh, here in about 15 minutes, we're going to, we're going to pop over to you guys. So, sorry, go ahead, Austin. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, the kid and Sweeney have done magic with this defensive scheme. And I think they, you're right. in that they do have rim protection. I don't think I'm concerned about their rim protection necessarily. Um, I'm concerned about the physicality on the inside. I think if they play some elite bigs, they can get bullied inside. And, and honestly, that was even a problem here. Like even when Porzingis was here, bigger teams with a lot of size can can bother them and can kind of warp their scheme. Um, and we saw a little bit with Bam yesterday. He got going for a bit. But other than that, like as far as like perimeter players and people getting to the rim, they can protect the rim and they're big on defense. Every single player, I think Spolster mentioned this last night. It's like everybody they play, is nearly six eight besides Brunson, and they're all sound. They they don't gamble. They don't make a lot of bad mistakes. I think this year more than any other year that I've watched the Mavericks, I just there are very few like miscommunications or breakdowns that lead to just easy open layups. If you want to score against them, it's going to be very difficult, and you're going to have to actually earn those baskets. And every every shot that you're going to take is going to be very difficult. And I think that kind of reflects in the data that they've been top five. I think in expected shot quality on the defensive end. Um, but their defense is, is legit, and I don't think they need Porzingis to be an elite defense. He was nice, but and he was really great at the run this year. But I think they smartly built their defense, um, their defensive scheme, so it wasn't dependent on Porzingis playing. And I think that's why they ultimately felt comfortable trading him, because they knew they could still play elite defense without him. I have like a million thoughts that popped in my head. Uh, real quick, I will say that a big reason why the Mavericks felt comfortable making the Porzingis trade is that the team has played so well without him that they they honestly felt, or at least were comfortable telling me, you know, people that I've talked to on the team, that they feel they can be just as good of a team without Porzingis. And, you know, they, they had, like, they literally have enough data with as many games as he's missed this season to feel comfortable with that conclusion. And, you know, that's kind of one of the, one of the things I touched on. Let's, let's circle back to the Porzingis trade and, and broader thoughts. Uh, real quick on Maxi, I, I will mention it was amusing that as good as they were, and I think both of these plays came in the second, um, in the second, uh, in the third quarter, and their third quarter was their best defensive uh, quarter. I think they held Miami to 13 points. And it was funny, two of the points they gave up, it was a 5-0 run. Uh, one of them was Kyle Lowry just stepping into a three when both players left him. And it was really funny. That was their best defensive quarter, one of the best defensive quarters I've seen for them in a while. And I need to go back and, and see exactly what was going on. But it's funny. They, Miami had a 5-0 run in there because Maxi and Dorian messed up twice. 
And, and you know, if not for the Mavericks' best two defensive players making some really weird mistakes, like uh, on that Kyle Lowry theory, if you remember it, it, like he was just standing there on the wing and Maxi yeah. tries to get the switch. I think he, he communicated the switch to Dorian, like let's switch back real quick. And Dorian must not have heard him. Um, and so Maxi ran over and then Dorian stayed on his guy. And all of a sudden Kyle Lowry was like, if you're just going to leave me open, I'll shoot this and make this. And then on the next play, Dorian kind of uh, like runs into Maxi and that kind of rubs him, uh, off of Jimmy Butler who gets to the, to the rim for a layup. And so it's really funny to think that like one of the better defensive quarters I've seen the Mavericks play all year could have been even better if not for just like a, a, two silly miscues, um, from their best defensive players. Um, so let's, you know, what are broadly, what would you describe your, you know, now, now that we're five, six days removed and, and not even taking into account the, the new players, which we'll circle to next, but, you know, just, just what I was talking about, how, with how the team has played without Porzingis this year, the Mavericks being comfortable with that, um, how much do you agree or disagree and, uh, and, and, just broadly, you know, I, I know I've, I've talked to you off air about this, but we haven't talked on a podcast about your, your first thing as long as. You know, I think I would describe the trade as responsible. Um, and at first it was very shocking because I, I thought, I thought KB was playing really well this year and I was really interested to see him play in a playoff series fully healthy. Um, and I think he was great insurance when you didn't have Luca and you actually had someone who could really run a, an offense through. Um, but I do kind of agree with their thinking as far as this makes him more flexible and he was expendable to an extent just because of his availability and the ceiling that they could have reached, which I think they did have a higher ceiling with him was just something that was too, too often theoretical and, it's hard to consistently think about the theoretical when you're playing 82 games in a season and kind of see that through. Um, and I think honestly with like the flexibility in the rotation and having just an, an extra ball handler and an extra shooter, I can see the reasoning why they would do that. And I kind of agree with it. And I think it's going to really work for them. Honestly, if they had just been able to swing a second trade for another big man, I would have had absolutely zero issue with this trade. I actually would have thought it was a home run to get off of KP and and get two smaller contracts who are gonna, I think gonna be useful players. Um, that's really my only my only criticism is that they weren't able to s- swing a secondary trade to, to bring in a big man. Cause if they if they'd just be able to get any kind of starting level center that could just add to the depth, I think it would have been a perfect scenario at the trade deadline. What what did you think of of the big picture um, thought I put in uh, today's article? Just about like the, the the question I think they had to ask themselves is, you know, are is their floor still should win a first round series? Because I, I think that, you know, basically what I argued was that KP and Luca had been answered. That was not the future. That was not a future pairing that would have made sense. And it was not a future pairing that allowed them to bring in a star, a second star for Luca. That made sense. But, you know, progress is gradual. If this team doesn't win a first round series, that is going to hang over Luca to an unfair degree, and that's going to hang over this team, probably even to the extent of free agents wanting to come here if they see this as a team that's lost three straight times in the first round, even if it's another really close series and they happen to get matched up against one of the better teams. Like, they almost beat the Clippers, and that would have changed perception uh, dramatically. And the Clippers might have been the title favorite, or at least they were the Western Conference favorite, in my opinion. And it took an all-time Kawhi game performance in, in Game 6 for, for them you know, for the Clippers to, to pull that out. That would have changed perception dramatically, but it puts even more pressure on them having to win the first round. And so to me, the, the, the one key here is that, you know, I, I made a dumb analogy to like, like literally breakups and relationships. And, you know, once you know there's no future to a relationship that is, that is serious, you, you don't let it drag out six more months. But the, the one thing that I think would have changed that is if Porzingis was crucial to this team getting out of the first round. And I think it's fair to say that last night is more evidence that their floor is still their first round favorites. Like they should be first round favorites against any team because they're not going to face Golden State and they're not going to face Phoenix. Yeah. And they should be first round favorites. And, and that, that I think was the key to the move. And because they feel that way, I think, I think it was fair to make the trade. No, I, I agree in that 
they should be favorites in the first round without KP. If they play the Jazz, they should beat the Jazz in a playoff series. I think what Luka did in the playoffs last year was un- unbelievable. And that was, I think, the best team in the playoffs when healthy, um, the Clippers. I think they would have won the title had Kawhi stayed healthy. And they had them beat. They had them on the ropes. And they should, honestly should have won that playoff series. And so now that, especially now that they can really defend um, and we'll get to see playoff Luka. And I also think Luka is, is now better this year than he was last year now that he's in shape. Um, I think he's just, there's a few other wrinkles to his game that he's added. And he's also much better defensively. And with Brunson and, and Dinwiddie, I, th- I think they should win a first round series. I don't think trading KP um, lowered their floor at all. Um, if they put the, I think the concern... in the first round. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, if they played the Grizzlies in the first round, KP was great against the Grizzlies. He, was, he honestly dominated Jaron Jackson Jr. in all three matchups this year, and the Grizzlies were actually really terrified of KP. So I, I saw that as a potential downside. But other than that, I really did not really see much playoff downside happening because of the trade. Um, you, would have, you, would, you would need KP to really play his best basketball and honestly make a high volume of threes which he hasn't really done this season. And so I think by becoming more mobile, like more active and having the extra extra depth, I think it's actually going to really help them in the playoffs much more than having Porzingis. is. Yeah. And I think, I think there is a fair point to the idea that every time Porzingis went out and it, it took like five games of readjustment to him and, uh, when when he would come back, uh, that that definitely made the hypothetical scenario where he was playing his best basketball at the right time a little harder to see. Uh, the the one big concern is the one we touched on, just about the lack of depth. Uh, some of the comments we're getting, uh, Familia A says, so the front office is just going to keep starting Palo at center until he decides to retire. Biggest liability <laughs> on the team. Um, uh, Anna Anna Rude. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Anarud K uh, says, do the Mavs have any plans for a big on the buyout market? Uh, I think a guy like Robin Lopez would be a useful big for a few minutes and then follows it up with my worry is how many minutes Powell and Kleba can play in the playoffs. It feels like it's going to be a lot of minutes, especially for Maxi who can get injured. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think those are, those are the two that focus on it. And, and if, if Maxi got, you know, if Maxi were to get hurt because he's playing a larger role and he's playing more five, and he's injured, headed into the postseason, or even if he's limited, uh, even if he's playing through injury, and and we've seen him play through nagging injuries and be a much more limited version of of the player we saw last night. That is a concern. That that is absolutely a concern, and I think it speaks to why you said that this would have been a better move if they were able to pick up a big man. And I, I think that's the that's the one huge concern, and that's the one thing that could affect the floor that I'm talking about. Where if they just have Dwight Powell, I think Dwight Powell is, is actually. I agree. He's not a title contending starting center. Uh, ideally, he, he morphs into more of a, a bench role. But I, I think he's fine. I, I think that he, he fits the defensive scheme a lot better. I, I think he's been better of late. You know, he's still not the elite finisher he used to be before the injury. But, you know, he's been a he's been a pretty damn good rotation player and spot starter who's, you know, still only getting like 20 to 25 minutes a night. It's not like they're running out him out there 35 like true starter minutes every night or even 30 minutes a lot of nights and you know i I like that the mavericks were able to go big in the in the second half against miami uh a a lot of the time with with both bigs out there but yeah i I think that's the big concern is is you know even though postseason basketball will trend small if you're missing either of those guys i definitely get a little worried just about this team's overall depth do you know what's strange i think they actually miss willie collie stein yeah, he, he was useful, and he gave them an element that neither Maxi or um, Dwight could give them. As far as he just he had provided more length at the rim, a little more physicality. I, I had um, I told someone the other day that I thought Collie Stein was actually better than Chris, and the person looked at me like I was crazy, and I I still think that's true, honestly. Like I believe that's true too. He wasn't around, like yeah, it, you know, he hasn't like gone and resigned with some new team, so. Clearly, it's it's it was out of their hands, but I agree. Yeah, and I think if he was on the roster still, I think I would feel a lot more comfortable because yet his mistakes were very glaring. They were very easy to see, but he played good defense more times than not. He's a really good defender. He, he has a lot of also defensive talent. I think he has probably the most defensive talent of any of those bigs. 
And in a playoff series, when you just need someone to come in and play 12, 15 minutes and just play at a high level, and especially if someone's in foul trouble, I think he was a really nice fallback option as opposed to Marquis Chris, who I don't really trust to defend that way in a playoff series. He was a so, scheme fit because he moves his feet. Willie Collins yeah. was a was a feet mover. He was decent to to good on the perimeter. He's an, he's an and, incredible athlete. Yeah. 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 And like his mistakes, like I've said this before, but his mistakes were so glaring that it gave you a worse perception of the player he was. And he was very frustrating because you knew he could be more. But with all that said, with all those caveats, I still think that he was a pretty decent backup big when he played. And I definitely agree that, you know, just having him would actually give me a, a touch more confidence in in this in this big man rotation. And so so that's a bummer. And again, it, it's, it's nobody's fault, you know, that, I, that I'm aware of. Like he was not around the team. I, I hope the best for him and that everything's OK. And, you know, but it, but it's not like it's not like the Mavericks ostracized him. And then as soon as he was waived, he went and signed with someone else. And yeah. that that was his availability concerns. He's not in the league right now. And so I I don't know what to assume, except that if he was still on the Mavericks roster, he would still be out on a daily basis with personal reasons, whatever those are, and, and for whatever those, those reasons are. So Yeah. Any, anytime someone is out for personal reasons for longer than two weeks, honestly, it doesn't matter if you're in the NBA at any job. Like, I just assume whatever you're going through is very serious. So that's, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm going to answer one more question in the chat, and then I'd love to bring some people up if people are interested. Uh, so if you want to request to speak, uh, now's a great time to do so, and we'll start getting to some people here in a couple minutes. Uh, Austin, you're going to stick around for that for a little bit? Yeah, I'll be here for a little bit. Hell yeah. Okay. So I wanted to read one question, like I was saying. Uh, Mason B. asked, do you think Nico is possibly being strategic with his comments about the buyout market to be careful with tampering and Drogic? I could see a new GM being cautious. Uh, and I saw photos of Drogic hanging out and talking with the team after. So, no, I do not. I eventually will have a big profile of Nico coming out, but I've also had some conversations with him. And the wh why I'm saying that is, is not about even what he's told me. It's that this is as straightforward of a person and talker that you're ever going to meet. He would not have come out, uh, you know, he would not have said on the record in a public press conference that the team is done making moves if he did not mean that. He, he would have talked around it when by saying that he was being definitive. Uh, Drogic was was around the team. He was at the game last night. But Drogic is working out in Miami. He still has, uh, to my assumption, you know, he still has a home in Miami and he's been working out with the team. He's been hanging around the gym. Uh, so that explains why he was in Miami. And I think just frankly, once the team signed uh, or traded Spencer, traded for Spencer, it was pretty clear that 
it just wasn't going to be a fit for Dragic here. That, you know, the minutes aren't really necessarily there. I, I, I'm not sure Dragic isn't a better player than Spencer, but once you commit to the contract that Spencer is on, you have to play him and you have to give him a chance and you have to redeem his value to some degree. Because even if he isn't a good fit for the Mavericks, then you have to redeem it enough that he is going to be semi-tradable at a future point. So because of that, and because Dragic has so many people interested in him, and because the Mavericks don't really have a player they want to waive to bring him up here, uh, Trey Burke would be the obvious answer. But Trey has money committed to him next year. They would have waived him before this season if he didn't have money committed to him next year. Uh, but he does. And they've kept him around this long. So I find it very hard to believe that they're going to take that cap hit, which is about $3 million, uh, and also lose a little $3 million they can use to salary match if they have to trade um, coming up. Uh, they're just not going to do that at this point. And the other option is Frank Nilakina. And, you know, um, I think he serves a specific role within the guard sphere of the team, if you will. And I just, I just don't think it's, it's super likely that that's the, yeah, no, uh, the, the point of this, sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. The point of this is that Nico would not have said that based off who he is, how he represents himself. If he wasn't, you know, fully certain that it was not going to be, you know, something that he meant or that he was going to talk around or that something that he could go back on. Uh, I know we've had so many years of Donnie Nelson who <laughs> would say, I love the boys in blue and then, you know, an hour later make a trade. Um, but yeah, no, that's just not how Nico operates. And it's going to take, it's going to take some readjusting as, you know, for Mavericks fans, because it's, it's just a very different paradigm that, that Nico's going to operate on. But I, but I, I feel confident and comfortable saying that when he says, says something definitively like he did, um, and then also just looking at the logical situation of, of Jogic and how he would fit and, and the other options he has that, that no, that that's not going to be an option. And I would, agree that frankly at this point if, if they're going to go make a move then waving frank and probably signing you know if they can get a robin lopez if he gets bought out i i, I know that was mentioned in the chat i don't know if he's actually someone who's going to get bought out but you know go getting an insurance big man would would at this point probably be the move that makes more sense for this team in terms of of what they're missing so let's uh let's help the audience questions let's bring some people up um if you want to talk, uh, request to speak, um, but I'm just going to go in order. And we've got uh, Mirtha. Mirtha, can you hear us? Yeah, can you all hear me? I can hear you. I can hear yep. you. What's up? How are you? I am doing well eating lunch here. Um, but I wanted to ask y'all, the KP experiment didn't work out. Uh, who knew in an ideal wor world, who would be a second star for Luca? Say you could get anybody, and then in the actual world, reality, it's a two-part question. Who do you think would be the <laughs> best, the best move um, in the offseason? I love two-part questions, so that's uh, that's perfect. I've, I'm a uh, frequent asker of of that. Um, go ahead, Austin. Let's. Uh, what's Ooh. what's your take on this? Man, that is a great question. Who's the ideal star? I want to say someone like Jalen Brown who can score and defend, but I also, I think Luca would need to do really well, honestly, with like DeAndre Ayton or Rudy Gobert, just an absolutely elite uh, role man who can also actually post up. I think that's actually the thing that Luca needs most. He doesn't really need a lot of like other ball handlers, but having an elite role man and someone who can actually punish switches, I think is actually the thing that he needs the most to be the most optimized version of himself. So I would, I would honestly, I would go with either DeAndre Aiden or Rudy Gobert. I like, I like those. Hang on. I'm echoing in there. I've been walking around my hotel room. Um, yeah, I like those. Uh, I think those are idealized versions. I thought Jalen Brown's a, a good shout, um, a, a clear star with a lot of defensive upside and off ball potential. Um, but someone uh, who is in a doesn't need high usage to be successful. I, I don't, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Luca being an off the ball player, and and that was the whole thing about Kid early on, right? Was that he was like, we got to get Luca to trust his teammates more. And how is Luca playing? 
you know, five months into the season, exactly the same as he always has. Um, so look, you know, like he's, he's going to, he's going to be that guy. Like, I, I just don't see Luca, like he, he can get better off the ball, but he's always going to be a player who's, you know, whose worth and value most comes from being on the ball. Um, you know, it, almost in the sense that like him and Jokic would not work, but I agree that a, a center like you're describing, like an Aiton would be really good because it's someone that he would set up in the right spots. Um, but also someone who, you know, just is able to function with Luca to a way that, that Kristaps never will. Um, more realistically, which was the second part of the question. You forgot that Austin. I did. Uh, I, yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, oh, you know, also, I, I forgot. Go ahead. Anthony Davis. Sorry. The good version of Anthony Davis has actually been perfect co-star. I mean, I, I, in an, in an idealistic world, uh, go get Giannis. I mean, yeah. You know, it was, it was silly. The team sold out for him, but on the other side, like I get it. I totally that get is, it. Honestly, yeah. That, Giannis, it's, yeah. The most, <laughs> I guess, Giannis would be the perfect player. They would, they would win 20 championships in a row if it, Luke and Giannis played together. People people are still mad at me that I wrote a, a like tongue in cheek column saying I don't want Giannis to come to the Mavericks, but you got to remember I literally wrote that essentially saying they'd be too good, like they would win. It wouldn't even be a question that they'd win championships. And I'm a big fan of parody, and I'm a big fan of like the way Dirk won a title without just you know having somebody come in and and push him over the push him over the edge that he that he you know that was the idea of the column, not that they wouldn't be like the best team in the NBA just straight up immediately. I don't care who else is around them. Giannis and Luka would be the best team in the NBA. Um, realistically, that's hard. And I wish I had a better answer. I, I think Beal was someone I've thought about for a long time. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of fading away from that idea. I, I don't think that he's really a, a fit these days. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's a, a Jalen Brunson and a, a Jalen Brown type player, someone who's a, who maybe is a, a notch or two below. Um, but, but maybe, maybe you don't need a, a one B or a, or a, you know, the highest in version of a second option. Maybe you just need a Jalen Brunson and a, you know, really good wing player. Who's just, just a solid dude out there. Like, I, I think that as the NBA pivots away from uh big threes that, you know, there's going to be room in the margins for big twos to operate in unconventional ways where, that that second person of the big two might actually be two players, or it might be a Jalen Brunson and a really really good supporting cast. And I think it was Kid who said it, but Kid was asked about that, and he even said that uh, in the you know after the trade was completed when he was asked about that. So let's hop to a new question. Um, we've got Michael coming up. Michael, how are you? Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Um, so I think, so I'm not sure if, um, this is exactly a question, but I guess just something like an observation just from, um, just watching, uh, Nico's presser after the trade, which was that he, I mean, to your point previously, where he's kind of like a straight shooter with his comments, like he, he mentioned how it wasn't, he, he was like, it's not like a home run. He talked about how it's about flexibility and not really so much about, um, you know, making, making like the roster like better in the immediate. Well, he, he, he did say that like, he was like, I think this roster is better than it was yesterday, which I think is very careful wording, you know, alluding to the idea that maybe KP wasn't available like the previous day, but also it's just like, I think it was just noteworthy that it was like, he kind of, uh, you know, mentioning flexibility, like for you know, the ability to make like future moves. And I guess I'm just wondering like how, what kind of a, time window do you think uh nico will really have to you know kind of take this step back before ultimately making another move to take you know the proverbial two steps forward like when it comes to the idea of like how long you know like luca would have the patience to um you know be in this kind of holding pattern where you're holding like three gigantic contracts and and uh, tim and and uh and davis and and spencer like all like 15 to 20 million, 20 million contracts on players that are not really um, guys who you'd pencil in as starters. Um, yeah. So like, I, I guess it's like, what kind of time window do you think he would have to like make this kind of move? Do you think it would be like one or two years or do you think like there's a more latitude there or is it just like a situational thing? I think that's, 
very, very, very intuitive. I, I think, you know, especially noting how the, the, the wording of, of how Nico kind of phrased that, I think that's spot on. I, I think it's telling, I, I, you know, I mentioned in one of, one of the pieces I wrote, you know, last week that uh, I thought it was interesting that he mentioned flexibility twice on the very first answer. Uh, before mentioning, oh, and it gives us some depth as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit how he framed that. And the, the, the Mavericks do legitimately believe that the, the players they brought can be good players for them. But yeah, no, this, this was a, this was a move. This was a team trying to be uh, proactive so they can be reactive in the future. And I think that's the, that's the key about reactivity is that there's not necessarily a, a window you're specifically penciling in or a window that, that something needs to happen. Um, but this move sets them up so that when there is an opportunity to be reactive, if there was a player who is upset with their situation and uh, says, hey, I want to go to Dallas, like Dallas is the place I want to go. We've seen in the player empowerment era that, uh, you know, to some degree, players can at, at least push for uh, certain situations to end up in. And whether that's this summer, you know, certainly the Mavericks are going to be open and, and looking and uh, and attempting to be reactive if a situation came up, but if it didn't happen, and especially if they do well in the playoffs, like I think that's a that's another big factor. If they, if they can win a series or two, like that gives them a lot more flexibility to not feel the pressure to do something this summer, whereas you know they they're still set up to be reactive at the deadline or they're set up to be reactive in 2023. Uh, I, I think broadly that's 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 my initial thoughts. How does that how does that jive with with kind of what you were what you were saying, Michael. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, the main concern I have is just that like they do have these, okay. So yeah, they have these like mid-sized contracts now, but at the same time, like, okay. Everyone is talking about how like Chris stops was, you know, just massive contract, very difficult to be moved. But at the same time, it's like, I have a hard time escaping the idea that, you know, Chris stops when he was on the floor, he was very, he was, he was very good. Like, like very, like, like he was back to like being one of the best rim protectors in the league. Um, you know, he, I, you know, I think that he was a better shooter than his numbers showed this year. Like his, for his career, he was at, he was like, like 35, 36. Um, but at the same time, I think that, um, like when you take the combination of Spencer and Davis, like, I just don't think they're as good players. So like, I mean, I mean, yeah, clearly, but so it's like, it'd be, they're easier to trade mechanically, but will they be as appealing as like the ceiling idea of Chris Ops could be? I guess that's, that's the main question I have mainly is just, you know, like I think mechanically it'd be easier, but you know, if a star comes in available for a trade, it's, and then you look at the Mavericks roster situation, it's like, Oh, you're going to give us Tim Hardaway in return. And like, what are you giving us in terms of like young assets? Oh, okay. It's Josh Green. Okay. Um, I guess that's the main concern I have is like they're flexible mechanically, but in terms of like the asset play, like can they still be competitive to, with other teams? Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, it, it's something I talked about in, in one of the pieces. I, I hate, I, I hate, uh, you know, I'm always referencing pieces I, I've written. Uh, I kind of feel like you know, just the, the summation of all the articles I write are like building a, like a universe of, of opinions that I have about the team. So that's why I'm always like referencing back to, oh yeah, I was, I was saying this then and, and for this reason. Um, when, when I wrote the, the piece directly after the, uh, the trade, my, 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 the first piece, I talked about how, you know, if they retain Brunson, they finally have a package that they can at least offer to people that is, that is plausible to be traded for, you know, someone who's more of a, a true star. And, and so that package would be Brunson, uh, maybe Josh Green, maybe some first round picks in the in the future. And then, you know, these contracts that we're talking about that are mid-sized and able to match, uh, you know, the contract of a, of a larger star. But in that same piece, I also referenced that Brunson, to me, uh, parallels pretty well to CJ McCollum. And we just saw that CJ McCollum, albeit older, you know, less potential and in, in long, long-term upside, uh, than someone like Brunson, uh, although probably also at his very best, a, a bit of a better player than Brunson. Uh, but Cesar McCollum wasn't even close to uh, like getting into the Ben Simmons trade talks. And Ben Simmons isn't a like capital S superstar. And he was a beleaguered star who, you know, whose value was was falling off and tanking in a lot of ways. 
And so if the Mavericks best offer is going to be a Brunson and some future first round picks that aren't all that appealing and a, uh, you know, a, a solid, but, but not like extremely hyped prospect in, in someone like Josh Green. Uh, and then, and then they're matching with a Tim Hardaway or a Spencer and those players values are at best even, and, and probably a bit lower than that. Yeah. That offer might not be good enough to go get the superstar that becomes available because of, of whatever the situation is. So, um, I'll let you, you have any reactions to that? And then I'll, I'll let you go and, and hop to the, the next caller, but, uh, I'll let you respond if you, if, if you got thoughts on that. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I've, I've taken up enough time. Uh, thanks for, thanks for responding to the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, this has been, this is, this is fun. We're, we're going to do, uh, I'm going to try to do two more and then, then we're going to get out of here. Um, for everybody who's in the room, uh, just, just for a, um, just for a update on, on what we're doing. Sorry, this is the first time doing a live room. So I'm, I'm adjusting along with everybody else. Um, let's go to Austin. Did you have anything to weigh in on that before I hop to a new caller? Oh, no. Um, the only thing I would add is that I think year two would be the year where they make a move. I don't think this next season will be when the big trade happens, but the following year, I think, is when they'll be set up to either sign somebody to a sign-in trade or, or make a trade because I think Powell and Kleber will be expiring contracts. Um, and so you'll have those kind of pieces to make any kind of big move, especially if you need to uh, acquire a player with a, with a huge contract. So I think I think he was right in that Nico is, is thinking like about 36 months out or 24 months out um, with, and to a potential move. And again, it matters that you set yourself up to be reactive should the opportunity arise. And they at least have that opportunity to be reactive. And, you know, maybe it materializes more as a sign and trade, but that gets complicated. You can't sign a trade a player with adding a bunch of stuff on, but maybe there's a, there's technically like two deals you can do with a team. Anyway, I don't want to go too far into capital logistics. This is a, a live room. I think live rooms are not ever like they sh- you're banned from talking about like minutia salary cap details on live rooms. That is not the point of this. All right, let's do, we're doing two more calls. Um, first guy up is Mason B. This is kind of fun because like I, I've recognized a lot of names, um, you know, of people who are dropping comments in and things like that. Uh, and maybe Mason, I, I just recognize your name more because you're in all lowercase. Uh, but, but I definitely have seen you around the comment sections and stuff like that. So what's up, Mason? This is, this is fun. Uh, I have one more question uh, regarding Dorian Finney-Smith. I just feel yes. the timing of when he got his contract extension. I just find it curious. So were they shopping him with other deals to see what would happen? As soon as the deadline happened, the announcement came out. And then how does that play into the summer? If he signs a contract now, is he able to be traded on draft night or at free agency? Or do they, they have to wait longer? That is a good question. That's um, a great question. <laughs> I believe, man, I, like I said, this live rooms are not for salary cap money. I believe he's able to be traded. Uh, I don't think that would affect it. I might be wrong about that. It, it might be a six month period. I that, think there's a rule actually, on I think extensions. It Once you sign one, yeah. you're not eligible to be traded for a certain amount of months, but I don't know how that works if you sign an extension in the middle of the season. Right. Obviously, if they, if they just signed a dude in free agency, there's a, there's a waiting period. I do not know how that works on extensions. I will have to, I'll follow that away for a post vacation. Let's figure that out. Um, in terms of why they waited, I, I think that's just a pretty typical front office thing. They're, you know, if you, they didn't need to sign him before and there was always a, a remote possibility that, um, you know, that, that something would come up again. It, it's more about like being reactive and setting yourself up to be reactive. If, if the perfect move came along for Finney Smith, or, or one that would have involved Finney Smith. I, I think that they, they possibly would have moved him. I don't think they were trying to move him. I don't think that there was active talks to move him. I don't think that there was really any desire to move him. I think the desire was always to get this contract extended. Um, but I think just timing wise, it, it made a little bit of sense to, to hold off. And that's just a, a pretty typical, normal front office maneuvering sort of situation. And it, it was clear when the when the team talked about it that, um, you know, they'd been talking for a while. This this is it's not like the trade deadline passed and then they hit up. It, not I don't think anybody thinks that, but you know, it, it was it was something that had been in the works, and the trade deadline passing was just the right time for them to say, all right, let's let's sign, let's 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 put ink on this contract. 
and we are ready to commit to this. And the reason, even if they wanted to do that with Brunson, the reason they can't is because they can't offer him that same amount of money. Like, I think they could, to my understanding, I think they could offer him the same. Actually, I think they could offer him a little bit less than even what they offered Penny Smith. And Brunson's going to make more than that. And so it's just kind of extension rules and, and salary cap rules, which I already said we weren't going to talk about. So I, I, I'm breaking my own rule here. Um, but it, for Brunson, it's just like extending him is just not feasible at the, at the money that he's going to command. So regardless of the situation, he was going to have to, that was going to be one ha- that that was going to have to wait to the uh, to free agency until, until the summer. So, you know, signing Finney Smith and not signing Brunson does not indicate that they're more committed to Finney Smith than Brunson. But because Finney Smith was, you know, everything checked, all the boxes were checked and the deadline had passed and, you know, the, the you know, the, the fleece of the century didn't come up involving him. Um, you know, that, that's probably like the Mavericks perspective of it. Uh, they were they were willing to commit at that point. So, anything else, Austin? No, uh, I think you you hit it on the on the head. Yeah, I think they just mm-hmm. wanted to wait until after the deadline um, to to extend Dorian, just because you never know if you get a, a deal that you actually really like at yep. uh, at the final hour. But I think honestly, they probably had those numbers squared away for quite some time, and we were just waiting for the deadline to pass. And then they offered him needs more more than deserving. I think the most deserving extension I think I've ever seen from Mavs perspective we feel very happy for that dude oh absolutely absolutely i got a uh, one-on-one interview with him coming tomorrow so there's a little uh sneak peek uh um, he's great or preview dude he was, when he was great i remember like i i think i talked to him after a game his rookie year and he was just like surprised that people even wanted to talk to him and now he's a 52 million dollar player so that's great for him absolutely all right we're gonna do one more call uh it's gary g um, sorry to the, the couple of people who are still waiting. Uh, we're going to start doing these more often. I think every other week, and I think some of them are just going to be completely listener focused. Um, but right now we've got one more Gary. Can you hear us? What you got for us? Yeah, real quick. Can y'all hear me? I can hear you. Yep. Hey, yeah, I, I just joined your group while ago. Listen, I, I watched last night's game and I can't help after the game was over. How much other superstars love Luca? And my question to you real quickly is what is uh, Bama Autobato's uh, contract status? Boy, I would love for Luca look like, look like Tyson Chandler. Oh, my gosh. He'd be awesome. Um, what is his contract? He... Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he um, extended I recently. I, I, think he I, I don't think he's up for, for a few years. Yeah. But you're yeah. 100% I, and... right. He'd be perfect with Luca. Yeah, all right, guys. Thank you. Of, Appreciate it. Stars are there. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Um, yeah. Speaking of speaking of people who you know, we were talking about the ideal host, um, or the ideal host, the ideal um, the ideal star to put next to Luca. Like that's that's another one of those big men who would just be so 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 good. But even even if his contract is not um, you know extended um, or whatever it is, it, it is it is. You're correct. It, it's definitely not going to be a free agent anytime soon. Um, but I think his value to the heat is also like, uh, no, like, yeah. like, you know, the McMahon, I, I think McMahon said this on one of the podcasts and he was joking. And, and of course people aggregated it with seriousness, which is just, that was very, whatever. But, but McMahon was like, uh, Detroit called about Brunson and McMahon was joking that, uh, that Dallas was like, yeah, what about Cade? And I think that's pretty much what Miami would do. That if, if Dallas called about um about Bam, they'd be like, Yeah, you wanna send us Luca? And uh that's that's pretty much where the conversations would end. But there's no question that he, he really fits that mold. Um real quick, this was a this was a, a text chat um or a, a comment. See, I gotta get my lingo right on this. Like like I said, I'm brand new to this. I'm still in, figuring in out the this, chat. Like, with all the in the chat, in the chat there was a there was a question when we were talking about stars that mentioned Grant. Jeremy Grant. No, I, I don't. I don't think that's. A yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean to the dude. I, I don't like him as a player. I mean, I, I think that he he clearly doesn't want to be a glorified role player, even though he's pretty good at that, and he does want to be a focal point of an offense, which he's not very good at. Um, you know, he's he's fine at it. He's good, but he's been worse this season than last year, and even last year, I don't think he was. Um, you know, he was, it was, I think people were more surprised that he was able to 
score that many points on decent efficiency, but decent efficiency and scoring 18 a game is much different than ideal second star to Luca. And if, if he was willing to come here and be what Aaron Gordon has been to Denver, that's a different story, but that's also not a second star. That's, that's kind of the glorified, you know, that's, that's kind of where Brunson and, and Grant as a, as a super role player would collectively make up the number two option that I was talking about a little bit. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. Although I do really respect Jeremy Grant for being like, I actually have different ideas for my career and I, I want to be a number one guy and just being very transparent about it. I don't want him to be that here in Dallas, but it's it's kind of refreshing to see someone have very different career goals as an NBA player and kind of just state them kind of plainly. Dude, ain't nothing wrong with that. Like he's he's getting paid to a way that he never would if he was a role player. He, yeah, uh, he's in a he's in a city that loves him. That's important to him. You know, he's a he's a black player who wanted to go to a a uh, like a historically black city. Uh, that was important to him. There's a really good James Edwards piece about that. And yeah, yeah. you know what? He's enjoying basketball. You know, it, like he can go chase a ring later in his career. But I, I think I think uh, rings culture rings with a with a Z on the end has has really damaged um, the NBA in some ways that. You know, I'd love to read a book about that, honestly. It's just the way that, you know, it just got so monopolized that if you weren't winning rings, like, you do not matter to the NBA culture in, in Hemisphere. And Jeremy Grant's like, that's that. I'm just going to do my thing, and I'm going to get paid more money and enjoy myself more, and, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out later. So, All right, Austin. You feel, like, right. we, uh, feel like we did a uh, – did a good live room? A little athletic live I think, chat? I, I think we did a great live room. I only have one last thing to say. Okay. Is that I collected a lot of stock on Bertans Island two days ago. It was, there, was no, there was no one there. The stock was at like a penny a share, and it's slowly rising. I'm gonna be a, I think I'm going to be a very rich man by the end of the season. <laughs> so what you're saying is, is Bertans Island is not a crypto investment. It, it maybe the good kind, maybe like getting in on Bitcoin at like 2013, and I can, I can really turn a profit, but but not the type that's uh, doing Super Bowl commercials. No, no QR codes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, like I said, we're gonna do this uh, more often going forward. It's probably every other week. We will typically have our usual podcast. We, we skipped it this week and focused on this, but this will be showing up in the in our usual pod feed as an episode. Obviously, if you're here in this room, uh, that probably doesn't apply to you. But if but if you missed any of it, uh, check it out there. And uh, we will see you next week. I'm going to take some vacation, but we'll be back. And there's so much to talk about the Mavericks in the in the coming months. So thanks for listening, and we'll, we'll see you guys. Plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luke, a big dick Donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the Please be nice to Luca. Future four time MVP. Oh my god! Oh! Oh! Shut it down! Oh Let's go home! <laughs> it's a wrap, Doug! Man, that is a wrap. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.